We have a culture that values intensity, and I feel like God doesn't value intensity, He values consistency. I would rather you be less intense over the long haul than more intense on a short-term basis. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. Today, we have Pastor Aaron Burke on the show. Aaron is the lead pastor of Radiant Church in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. And I've had the privilege of working with his worship and creative teams. And let me tell you, their church is amazing. I loved my time there. If you're anywhere near Tampa, I highly recommend visiting their church. Now, Aaron is also the author of the new book, The Unfair Advantage, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph, Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. So we have a great conversation about this book. I really enjoyed it. I encourage you to get a copy, so I'll link it in the show notes. And while you're there, you can also pick up a copy of my new book, This Dream Is Not For You, Learn to Live by Letting Go. It's recently released. I love hearing all the stories of uh, those of you who've read it already, how it's helping you trust God with the dreams in your heart so that you can live with hope and freedom and expectation, even on the other side of a dream that seems to have died. So these books uh, actually complement each other really well. So once again, you can find all the info for Pastor Aaron's book, The Unfair Advantage, and my new book, This Dream Is Not For You, in the show notes and YouTube description. All right, now let's join the conversation. Aaron, welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. I'm so excited to be with you, Wade. I'm excited to see what God does through this conversation. Yeah, I, I got to meet you a little over a year ago when I went down to to work with the worship team at your church, Radiant Church in Tampa, which was just such a refreshing few days for my soul. I love your church. I love your team. And I think when I was down there, you were in the beginning stages with your book and I was in the you know beginning stages of my book and we were both kind of talking about this process and then now they came out within a few weeks of each other so I'm excited is, to, to talk about yours you know it's uh it was really cool connecting with you first of all you really helped my team so uh, I know you've got a crazy incredible audience of people listening to it, but I'm telling you that your voice and my team really helped and brought a lot of clarity and um, I'm excited about your book, excited about what God's doing through your life. So thank you. Well, I love your book, The Unfair Advantage. And it's about the life of Joseph, the subtitle, Seven Keys from the Life of Joseph for Transforming Any Obstacle into an Opportunity. And I was telling you right before we hit record, I feel like this book is both very, very insightful with what you gleaned from the story of Joseph, which if, we've, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story a lot, but I feel like you pulled out some really um, fresh insights from it, but then every single chapter is so practical. So I have this whole list of questions that I could ask you about all seven of the unfair advantages. So we'll just see where what, what we have time for. But I wanna ask you, say something in the book. Maybe we'll start here. You say that there's a chain of events that was one of the main reasons you wrote the book. It's your own personal Joseph story. Could you walk us through that and maybe use that as the doorway to get into this whole concept? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I believe that you live life forward, but you really understand life backwards. And if you'll get to a place, it happens when you get in like your 30s and your 40s, and I'm not in my 40s yet, but where you look backwards and you go, 
oh, it had to happen. It had to make it, it like that difficult season. Uh, I got fired from that job. For me, I got kicked out of a school. Like I had these really traumatic experiences that I realized were chains of events towards what God really wanted to do through my life. And so I, I wanted people to understand with this book is that the way you're going to get to your destiny is going to be difficult. So God puts a dream in our heart, and we've all had that moment. We've all had the moment going, I feel like I'm made for something more than what I'm experiencing right now. There's destiny on the inside of us. I mean, you know, we've all heard it, but then we go to the path to get there, and it's just, it's frustrating. I remember my journey started at 16, and then I remember at 17, I get expelled from from college and from high school and had to go into the junior college my last year. And it was just, it was a traumatic experience where, I mean, it was very difficult, but I look back and see how the Lord set it all up for the destiny he had for me. So the whole purpose of the book is to say the unfair things that you've been through, if leveraged correctly, can be used for your advantage. And that's where I got the idea of the unfair advantage. And, um, and so the whole goal is to help people realize how to capitalize and leverage difficult seasons that you think there's no purpose to it, but there's a lot of purpose to it. Yeah, I love when you're telling that story, you actually kind of reverse engineer the whole thing from where you're at now to, well, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been here and I wouldn't have been here. And like you said, that's something you can only understand in reverse. There's no way you could have engineered your story to end up where you're at right now. That's only God. But it's incredibly difficult to have that perspective when you're in the middle of a situation that seems really unfair. And you say something right at the top of the book. You say that um, leveraging a unfair experience for good, um, it's, how did you say, it's available, not automatic. Can you talk about yeah. that? All right. So we, we, preach it all the time. It's Romans 8, 28. God, you know, uh, it, he can turn all things around for the good. And we look at that and we go, all right, it's going to happen. This is a terrible season. I'm going to, it's going to turn around for the good. But that's not always the reality. The reality is, is that how we handle what's difficult actually determines how it turns out for the good. So for instance, I've had two different um, moms that and I didn't have two different moms. I had two <laughs> different people uh, that were mothers of kids in my youth ministry when I was a youth pastor. Both of them experienced a teenager getting lost to cancer. You can't imagine a more devastating scenario. So both of them were 16-year-old kids lost to cancer. And I watched two people walk through the exact same scenario. One of them walked out of that scenario through the grieving process um, with ministry on, their, on her mind, healed, able to walk into the desk. I mean, you never get over a child being lost, but able to walk into the goodness of God for her life. The other was stuck in that hurt and that pain. And I'll never forget seeing that lady years later. She never got over the grief. She was never able to use it for the good. And I realized one of them walked in and got better. One of them walked in and got bitter and got hurt. And the way you handle your situations really matter. And so that's where the whole life of Joseph happens. Because I've heard the life of Joseph for years preached and going, it's okay. If God puts a destiny in your heart, you'll end up um, in at the destination no matter what you do. And that's not the reality. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is Joseph made crucial decisions along the way mm -hmm. that really helped him. Now, 
it didn't look like it was helping him because he he actually made some decisions. I mean, you got to think of the situation with Potiphar's wife. And if people are listening to this, they don't know who Joseph is. He's this guy who is part of this very famous family in faith. Um, he's the 11th of 12 sons. He gets a dream in his heart, gets rejected by his family, gets sold off into slavery, excels in the, the person's home where he's serving. And then the guy's wife, you know, basically tries to make a move on him. And he makes a choice of integrity. And during that season, he made the right choice. And the result is he gets thrown into prison. So not every one of your good decisions is going to lead you to a greater spot, but it's all part of the process. Hmm. So that's what I tell people, like, trust the, trust the Lord in the process that he's able to work these things together for the good if you do your part. Yeah, that's, uh, that's such a helpful distinction and lens to look at your situation through. Um, right. And... You know, I was, I was thinking about Joseph. I actually mentioned this briefly uh, in my book, but mm-hmm. how Joseph did. There was no single like giant step of faith Joseph did to get him towards his dream, but there were a right. lot of daily steps of faithfulness that like postured him to be able to be used by God. So I love how you say that. Like, there's a personal responsibility we have to actually steward those moments well, the unfair moments, and. And God can leverage that for good if we actually go into it looking for that. Um, But I know, like you mentioned, like, you know, someone who goes through such a devastating um, situation, like losing a child, that bitterness and that pain, and that's a long process to to even to begin healing. Um, When somebody is walking through something painful like rejection, like disappointment, what practical tools do you have to help them um, actually begin to surrender that to God and actually have the courage to dream again after being so disappointed? Well, first of all, trusting God means trusting God's timing. Hmm. And so a lot of it is you having to make a point to say, just because it hasn't happened the way I wanted it to happen, doesn't mean it won't happen in the future. Everything with God is going to take longer than you want it to take, but it's going to be better than you could ever have imagined. So I just want to encourage some people because you think the story's over and you're discouraged, but your discouragement is not merited right now because you are not at the end of the story. And even the worst case scenario, the loss of a child, the loss of you know something that's devastating in that way, the reality is, is we realize the end of the story is we have eternity ahead of us. So there's still more to it that God is going to use for the good. So there's something about the hope in the middle of it that, you know what, I, I'm not done and I know I'm discouraged in this season. And you see that in the life of Joseph. His bro- he gets a dream in his heart and he tells his family and his family basically mocks him for it. We've all had that moment. We've all had that moment where we told someone, I feel like God's doing something great inside of me. And they go, oh, come on, get real. That, yeah, that's not gonna happen. But Joseph makes a decision. Okay, I'm gonna keep dreaming. That's one of the most significant verses in the, in the passage is where Joseph says, and he dreamed another dream. And I know it's, you know, it's, it's so much of what your book is about. Like this idea, like there's so much, God, don't stop dreaming. So in the middle of it, just realize you stay encouraged by knowing the story's not over and because it's not over, that there's a way that God can turn it around for the good. And then to recognize 
that everything that's being done in this current season, God is so strategic that even though you feel like it's a waste, it's not a waste. There's, it's an investment in your future. So every difficult season is a developmental season towards what God has for us next. If we'll submit during it and say, God, I don't like this, but I know there's purpose to it. Yeah, I, I was just thinking as you were sa- sharing that, there's a story you tell about how disappointed you were when the only location you could find for your church was that dollar movie theater. Can you share that? Because I think that would encourage some people yeah. too. I mean, the dream God put in my heart, and you talk to so many pastors and church planners, you know, we always got this huge dream of what it's going to look like. And my wife and I sell everything and we moved down here in faith and we literally could not find a location. And the only place that opened up was a dollar theater in the most rundown plaza. It was smelled, sticky floors. And it was the only place that would open up the door for us. And so we said, God, if this is what you're giving us, it doesn't look like the dream, but it's what you put in front of me right now. And I felt like I was the Joseph. You know, it's like, you told me I was going to be a second in command, but really I'm just serving at Potiphar's house. It's my season. I'm going to be faithful with my season. So we made the most of it. And I love the grittiness of pastors and church planners. You know, we get in there and we... You know, we love it like it's our own. It's like, you know, you see your children and, you know, the, the kid's born and, you know, it's it, they're not that cute, but you think they're just <laughs> the most amazing thing ever. And so we made that building our own. I mean, we put up pipe and drape and scent machines and loved it. I remember one time, wait, I think I give the story in the book is I'm preaching and and while I'm preaching, I, I believe in the, you know, conviction of God is in the room because there's rustling in the back of the auditorium but it wasn't the conviction of God in the room. It was a rat had fallen from the ceiling (laughs) and the people in the back of the auditorium were freaking out. And it's those gritty, tough seasons Mm -hmm. that I handled that I loved with God's grace. And then it was a few years in that we get the lease turned over to us and we end up, that 30,000 square feet ends up being a miracle deal that now still houses one of our campuses with 3,000 plus people a weekend at that campus. And to me, it's it was a miracle, but it didn't look like a miracle. It looked like a mess. And if you'll learn how to take messy situations and learn how to invest in them and love them and care for them, then you'll see how God can use it for the good and turn it into a miracle. But unfortunately, we're all thinking like it's going to come look like a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't look like the way we think it's going to look. Well, you even say something later in the book that uh, it's easy to confuse different with done and yes. how the dream, it looks different than what we imagined, what we prayed for, what we hoped for. And we either think, well, that's the end of the road for this dream and we give up or um, you know, we just think this is all it's ever going to be. And we just settle for for lowering our level of faith and lowering our level of expectation. Um, But once again, that situation that you just described is something you could only understand in reverse. So you had to choose in those moments when the rats are falling from the ceiling to say, God, this is, I'm going to steward what you've given me to steward and I'm going to make the most of it. And then in the, in retrospect, you see God's faithfulness, which you, Can I just say something about the different not done? Because yeah, that was actually a word um, God gave me a few years ago when, um, and I, I felt like it was a word God gave me for some of our staff when they were thinking of like the calling God had for them. And I think about it with Joseph. So if, for those that don't know Joseph's story, he believes, you know, God's called him to do something big with his life. Nobody believes in him. Then he goes through 13 years of pain, 13 years of real frustration. 
And then he gets promoted and he becomes second in command over all of Egypt under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh gives him one job. I think this is so frustrating because if I've done 13 years of behind the scenes and I finally get promoted, I'm gonna go, now let me actually rule. Like, give me an audience, give me influence. And God gives him one job. And I can't imagine that Joseph looked at this and goes, you know what? This is exactly what I saw 13 years ago. Hmm. No, but this is what God has given me in this season. And the dream that God gave him when it starts, when he starts walking to it, it's, it's different. It's different, but God wasn't done with him. And I think if people can understand that, like for those that are in that waiting season or they feel frustrated going, you know, I see my colleagues, they got ahead at this time and by this age, they got to this place or, you know, other people, they had a better, easier road than me. You've got to understand, listen, your situation might be different than you can imagine, but it's not done. So you've got to stop putting period there. God's still working it out. And I really think how we handle the different determines if we're able to walk into the real destiny God has for us. Yeah, I think that's a word for somebody listening today. Um, Don't think different means done. Like whatever your situation is, God's not done with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just prophetically really believing that over Mm -hmm. someone listening at this moment. Now, along with that, uh, there's a lot of people that they have big dreams. They... They compare their progress to other people's progress and they don't feel as far along. And they have all these other excuses and reasons why that's the case, yet their work ethic is lacking. Uh And in fact, when you're talking about the wageless worker, there's a quote you have that I want to use in all of my coaching from now on. Far too many people have million-dollar dreams and a hundred-dollar work ethic. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so Joseph gets sold into slavery. He takes the few hundred mile trip. We don't know how he gets there, but to get to Egypt and he's purchased by a guy named Potiphar. And the Bible says, and Joseph excelled in everything he did in Potiphar's house. And I read that going, that wouldn't be me. You you, <laughs> you buy me? I'm, I'm a slave? I'm not bringing my best. I'm not working above and beyond. But Joseph knew something that we don't know because Joseph knew that Potiphar wasn't his boss. The Lord was his boss. So what he did is he wasn't working based on what they paid him. He was working based off the fact that I'm trusting God will reward me no matter what happens. So we've all been in a season that we're overworked, underpaid, undervalued. What are you going to do about it? And it's in those seasons that really we are able to walk into. It's unfair But if you handle it well, it will be the advantage that God has for your life. And I challenge people all the time, your work ethic in those tough, underpaid seasons, I believe dictates the blessing and prosperity that God wants to bring you into your life. Because if you see anybody that's been successful, nobody had it easy. Mm -hmm. Nobody's, there's no overnight success. I mean, you're a perfect example of that. We all have moments where it was years of working hard not getting recognized, not getting paid what we deserved. And we did it and we honored God with it. You know, the Bible says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So when I got started my job at McDonald's, I was, you know, 15 years old, making $4.75 an hour. And I'm telling you, Wade, I loved it. I loved it so much. 
You know why? Because I wasn't working for McDonald's. I was working for the Lord. I just knew it. I said, I'm going to give my best. And when I started the church, I'm going to give my best. And when I wrote a book, I'm going to give my best because my work ethic is not dependent on what people are going to do. My work ethic is dependent on what Jesus has already done for me. So I'm going to bring my best in every situation I do. And I think Christians should be the best workers, the hardest workers in their workplace, period. Forget the entitled, well, if they pay me enough, then I'll do it. Or if I recognize me enough, they give me enough platform. Nope, nope. Are you faithful behind the scenes? That's where Joseph was promoted. Hmm. That That's a word right there. Um, and you even talk about your work is your worship. And so that's such a great way to reframe work. We're not just working for a for a man, for a boss, for a woman. We are working as unto the Lord. And that yeah. our best effort becomes an offering of worship unto God. And so I think that's such a helpful, helpful frame. I, I want to turn the corner a little bit because you you talk in your chapter about the seduced saint, about integrity. And I think that is such an important word for the church today, for Christians today. And there's a Hebrew word that you teach us. Um, you're you're the, the, the one with the doctorate out of the two of us, so I'm gonna let yeah. you pronounce it instead of me. Um, but I thought that this was such a powerful chapter. And so walk us through that. And then also you go into the difference between secrecy and privacy, which was such a good handle that I think is going to help a lot of people. So the Hebrew word is um, in the Old Testament multiple times. You don't see it unless you look at it in the Hebrew. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but the word is called aharit. And aharit means that which comes after or the consequence. So the idea of it is, is that there is a consequence. There is that which comes after. And the enemy is so brilliant at blinding God's people, especially God's leaders of the ahri, the consequences of our sins. So we've all been in this scenario where we've seen the person on a stage, you know, confessing a moral failure, or, you know, you're sitting down with your spouse, you know, confessing some issue and, and you're, you're telling your children, you know, how you were unfaithful or what you did. And when you see those scenarios, I always think of as a pastor, I hear about them all the time. I'm involved in them many times. And I remember thinking so many times in them, those people never thought of this moment when they were out sinning. Hmm. They, were, they never thought, wow, how is the church going to take this when I announce my infidelity to them? What are my kids going to think when they hear that I cheated on their, their mom? They don't think about that because the enemy is so good at blinding us to the ahari, the final consequences. The, the verse, uh, one of the verses, there's so many of them. One of them is a proverb says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the ahorit, which is in the end, it leads to death. So what you've got to do is you've got to break through going, what is the consequence of this thing? If the sin comes to full maturity, what is it going to do? And Joseph got this. I don't know how he got, I have some theories, but Joseph got the fact that Potiphar's wife, who's hit on him. The Bible says multiple times. I mean, he had to avoid her because she kept coming after him. Thirsty lady right there. And she's coming after him. And in that moment, he has to make a decision going, no, I'm going to choose integrity. And I believe my theory on it is that in that moment, he remembered Uncle Esau. And y'all might not know Esau, but you know, Jacob and Esau were the brothers. They came out, they're twins. They came out fighting. And Esau was the one that gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew because he was hungry. 
He gave up a lot for a little bit of temporary satisfaction. And I bet that story went through the whole family and was just such a memory to go, how stupid was Uncle Esau to make that deal? And Joseph probably sitting there when Potiphar's wife's trying to hit on him going, I'm not going to make an Uncle Esau trade in this one. I'm not going to give up what I want most for what I want right now, a little bit of satisfaction. And we've got to be people of integrity. So how do we do that? Is that it's the secrecy and privacy thing. It's like, hey, there's things in my life that, you know, there, there, there's private things in my life. You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, Katie and I's income, our bedroom, that's all private. You know, well, you know, it's just, there's certain things that are, that are private, but there should be no secrets. There should be nothing. You're not, you're not hiding your phone from people. And like that to me is, is a live a life without secrecy because you will always be as sick as you are secret. And the more you can get vulnerable and transparent and honest, you can become a person of integrity. And let's be honest, we all lapse in our integrity time and time again. We all have this idea of how we live and then the reality is this is where we're at. So there's always a gap. You just want to work hard on closing that gap. So how would you encourage somebody who they hear that and they think, oh, I've got to be perfect. God expects perfection. How do they... Yeah. maintain a life of integrity, um, but also not walk under the shame of condemnation. Absolutely. Well, the good news is that Jesus came because of our lapse of, of integrity. And uh, what Joseph did in that one moment is so great. The reality is, is none of us can live perfect, but we don't need to. That's why Jesus came. So Jesus came and forgives us. So now, therefore, there's no now, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So we're not living under shame. And we recognize that even our failures, God can turn them around for something that's good. So I want to give somebody hope that's listening to this today going, Aaron, I was the Joseph that didn't choose well. God is so good that he can even redeem that through a moment of repentance. Repentance reshifts our life right back on the track that God has for us. And so you're not getting a, a plan B version of, well, you messed up. So just be encouraged with that. Again, God honors our transparency, honors our vulnerability. None of us are perfect. I've fallen, I mess up every single day. But the reality is, is now we can come to him and we can. he's faithful to forgive us and we're walking pure. And we have the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy mm. Spirit that when temptation comes, we can lean on him. So I just want to give somebody hope today that you feel like, man, my story's over because I lapsed in my character. No, 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 no. Listen, this is the moments we lean on God's character and um, we can be forgiven and given a fresh start even today. Yeah, and that's the power of confession because you're bringing it into the light and what is in the light can be healed. Just like you said, um, how did you say it that you're, you're as sick as you are secret. Um, you're as yeah. You're as sick as you are secret. Yeah. And so I think the opposite of that is true. Like you're as healed as you are honest, honest. and yeah. There it is. So that yeah, yep. that, that that's beautiful. Um, now I think part of you you mentioned the Holy Spirit. Part of really being sensitive to the conviction of God to what we need to bring before others is to actually actively foster a relationship with the Lord. And one of the things I've loved about watching you and your church and your ministry is how much importance you put on that personal relationship with Jesus and it not mm -hmm. just being a checklist that you just cross off 
every day, but like, how can we actively posture our hearts before the Lord every day? And you give some practices about prayer. And my podcast, we, we get into a lot of prayer practices. So I'd love for you to, to elaborate on what, not only what you see in the text with Jesus, but what works for you in this season of life as a very busy, driven leader yeah. with a lot of responsibilities. So um, I think that a person's daily disciplines and daily routines really map out everything that, uh, you know, you're as if you're, we're all as effective and all as accomplished as we are disciplined. And, you know, we're all the results of our daily routines. It's just a lot of them are not good. So that's why we have bad results in our life. And I'll tell you the one that I've gotten done well is that, and I messed up on a lot of things, a lot of, I've got a lot of issues, but I'll just be totally, there's a good moment of transparency is um, I just don't miss a morning with God. I have a morning with Jesus appointment. And I challenge my staff. I say, you make an appointment with God and you keep it. And I love the gym. I love, you know, breakfast with the family. I love all those things. But I'll tell you, my appointment with God is the most vital appointment that I have every single day. And so, and I break that up into three different categories. I have a little bit of worship. I have a scripture and devotion time. And I, I use the SOAP method. I map it out a little bit in the book, but we do scripture observation, application, and prayer. And uh, before God, um, I'm trying to think. In the last, in the last a year till now, I've missed one day of soap. One day, and that was December 24th. And I was beating myself up the next morning on Christmas, going, "I let Christmas services take over." And to me, it's 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 not every day is outstanding, amazing. It's just a daily time of going. What God? What are you speaking to the scriptures? I mean, I'm in the minor prophets right now. They're difficult to get something out <laughs> yeah. of. But it's the discipline of going, God, what are you speaking of today? What are you speaking of today? So it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of worship, God's word. And then it's just that time of prayer and petition of connecting with him. And I'm telling you, it's, it's not, for me, it's really not about the length of time away with God every day. It's the consistency of every day there's something. And I want to encourage people with that because we have a culture that values intensity and I feel like God doesn't value intensity. He values consistency. Yeah. And I would rather you be less intense over the long haul than more intense on the short-term basis. Because everybody will start their New Year's resolutions and go all in and I'm not eating sugar for the whole year and they're done by January 3rd. That's the reality. You know, I'm, I'm going to read the whole Bible in, in a month and, you know, they do the whole challenge and they they sit there and they get one day in. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a little bit every single day. I'm going to make an appointment with God. I'm going to keep it. So this should bring hope to some mm -hmm. people. Like, again, it's not the, the big moments. You know, we love those big moments. And yeah. God will bring you those big moments. It's just the small faithfulness every single day. And... um and I'll tell you, let me just use one leather illustration with this because it's really helped me, Wade, and maybe it'll help people, is um, I can't tell you yesterday um, what I had for lunch. Actually, I'm trying to think about it. I don't know. I don't know what I had for lunch yesterday. I'm sure, I'm sure I ate some kind of sandwich or something. I don't know what I had. But two days ago, uh, it was my friend's 40th birthday, and I went out and got a steak that was unbelievable. It was just remarkable about how thick and amazing and juicy and just perfect it was. And that steak 
even though it was more memorable, was not any more important to my nutrition than the lunch that I forgot about that I had yesterday. So it's not about the big moments. It's about the daily discipline with God. Yeah. I mean, you're preaching right to what my heart is passionate about too. I and, know. I, and, and we, we've yeah. talked some about it. Yeah. I, I remember I, um, on my end of year evals at Elevation, sometimes the word that would get thrown out was, um, you know, Wade, you're, you're really consistent. And I used to hate hearing that because I thought consistent meant boring. And I was like, I don't want to be the boring one. I want to be flashy and this spontaneous. But over time, like God has really shown me, you know, lean into consistency because that actually is a superpower. And I definitely have my moments of being inconsistent. I struggle with it like the next guy. But I think the Lord has really given me a passion to, to champion that cause in this season. Like the people that have made the most impact in your life are the people that were the most consistently present. Right. And I'll say it this way, you're never more like God than when you're consistent because remember, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> so if we want the character of God, we got to long for the consistency that He brings. Yeah, that's so true. I hadn't actually made that connection with it. So I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You actually share a quote from Jim Elliott. We, we, I just talked about being present. That's one of your favorite quotes and it talks about that subject. Can you elaborate on that? Because I think that's one of the greatest challenges that we have in our generation and as Christians yep. is how to be present in the moment. Well, we have everything pulling at us. We have the whole world in our fingertips. And, um, and because we have access to everything, we're effective at nothing. So how do we do it? Well, the quote that I've lived by for almost 20 years now is, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And so I've recognized it. You know, tonight I'll have dinner with my family. And you know what I'll be doing at that dinner table? I won't be thinking about, oh man, how did that go with Wade? What's going on? What's happening with the book? What's the church going on this weekend? Nope. I've got an opportunity with my wife and those five kids right there to sit around that table and be all there. But you know what also I'm thinking about right now? I'm not thinking about, I hope dinner is good. I hope we're able to have a great conversation. Right now, all I'm thinking about is how do we make the most of this opportunity? And that's what I think the key is to effective leaders and effective disciples is going, God, wherever you put me, I'm gonna be the best and make the most of that opportunity. And recognizing nothing's wasted. So I don't know who's gonna listen to this, but I realize this isn't wasted. This is, God's put me here for this season, for this moment, for the few minutes we have together. So I'm gonna be all here. And if you are always thinking about what's next, you will miss out on what God wants to do now. So you've got to reprioritize your focus to go, God, I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to think about this because there's something for me in this season. What have you found to be the most helpful for you on the days you feel the most scattered? So how do mm -hmm. you recalibrate? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do the tier list of like, here, here's category, tier one, this is the non-negotiable I have to get done for the day. Tier two, you know, it's, it's, I would love to get around to it. Tier three is I have so much time and I can dream about the future. So I've lived by that for years and try to make that, you know, and my tier one is only three items. So it's like, these are the three things I have to get done today. But let's be real. We all deal with a scattered life. And so um, I give, I give up one of the chapters in the book is on the limited leader. And it's, it's what I talked about earlier. It's the fact that Joseph 
could have done anything as he becomes second in command, yet he focuses on one thing. And part of that is our desire and our our discipline to say, I'm going to focus my life on being effective at one thing at a time. Um, I, I They joke around because the even my staff, my wife jokes around me. She's like, Aaron, I can't believe you wrote a book on multitask. I mean, a, a chapter on multitasking when that's like the best thing in the world you're good at because I do 50 <laughs> things at once. So we're all scattered a little bit, mm-hmm. but where it matters most, be all there. So wherever yeah. you are in that moment, be all there and catch, I, I give it in the book. I, I said, uh, what is, it's called uh, metacognition. It's pay attention to your attention. Pay attention to your attention. It's like, what is getting your mind? You know, because I've had it happen where I, I'm writing a sermon and I'm thinking about something. So then I start Googling. And then when I'm Googling, I realize this, the other thing I thought about. And then I think about this. And then I think about this. And by the time it's over, I'm researching who was the actor of a movie in the 80s <laughs> and what happened in their life. I'm going, this is, how did I get on this uh-huh. rabbit trail? Guilty. Pay attention to your attention. Yeah, I, I've been there many, many times myself. <laughs> One of the things I think that we have to pay attention to, or we at least have to be self-aware enough to know, when are we trying to push open a door that God has closed with our dream? When is it time to quit? When is it time to just keep being faithful and persistent? When is it time to dream a new dream? Do you have any helpful wisdom for somebody who's, they're on the verge of quitting something that God has put in their heart. And I know you, it's it's situation dependent. So I know you can't speak specifically to their situation, but any right. guidance you could give them? Yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate question, isn't it? It's like, how do I know when to stop? How do I know when to keep going? And I just think there is something about the fact of going, there's some things you should quit. So I think, <laughs> you know, I think this whole idea, like never quit. I'm like, no, nah, there's some things you should quit. You know, I mean, I would have never gotten to where I was at. Like I had a, Great job as a youth pastor, but I felt the Lord tell me it's time to quit. Time. It was a major step of faith. Didn't make sense financially. I know you've you've done that. You've lived that world where you go, I'm stepping out. But you know what's crazy is there was one marker that I've had, and I know you've had any major person that has had a moment where they've quit something or persevered through something, even though it's difficult. They all had the same marker: peace. I just, I just know God's telling me to keep trying. I just know, I feel it. I, I don't, doesn't make sense. I feel it. Or I know God's just telling me to quit. I know he's telling me to throw in the cap. I, it doesn't make sense. doesn't line up with a five-year plan. Dave Ramsey's not going to be happy with me, <laughs> but I just know it's what God told me to do. And peace is an indicator of God's presence. How do I know what God's presence, where he's leading me in my life? He puts peace in the middle of it. So I look at those early days when I moved to Tampa, it was chaos. And yet we had so much peace. We just knew there's a God's in it. You're like, oh, y'all, y'all don't have any money. No, that's awesome. It's just great. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's how you, for me, I'm always going, what am I looking for in that season? I'm looking for peace. Yeah. And I think it's a pervasive peace that, because I think even in the seasons where you have that peace, there can be days that don't feel very peaceful. 100%. But if if we're doing what you said earlier, we're prioritizing our relationship with God and we're consistent in that. I believe the Lord rewards those who earnestly seek Him, as the scripture says. And so I think God will lead us and guide us and direct our steps as we open our hearts to Him and we actually ask Him, God, what do you want me to do in this? Yeah. I usually start 
these conversations with the question, what are you dreaming about right now? But I realized I forgot. So I think it's actually a good way to land the plane for us because you've talked a lot about how people can actually dream well and allow unfair situations to actually add fuel to the dream rather than push them away from walking in it. I want to know what are you currently dreaming about right now? What is stretching your faith? Where is God calling you to get uncomfortable right now in this season of life? Oh, such a great question. Um, I think it's in different categories. I think, you know, I mean, I just released this book and I'm just dreaming that it's just helping people. Um, I really do. So if people listen to it or listen on Audible, which by the way, it's a crazy experience itself to um, do the book there. That's a fun thing. Um, but I, I'd love to hear the responses because I'd love to hear how the books help me because it's my dream that it, you know, I didn't put it out there so that I can have a book. I put it out there because I really feel like it's a mm-hmm. message people need to hear. But my dream right now, I think the biggest thing on my heart is how do I raise the five children God's given me to be lifelong followers of Jesus that love the church? And, I, you know, I, I know people have wrote books on it. I know that like I just want to do parenting well. I also want to do parenting well and do ministry well at the same time. And I'm like, I feel mm. like I can do both. I feel like I can love my wife, love my kids, and love the church and build an aggressively evangelistic, healthy, deep, discipleship-focused, at the same time, reaching lost people-focused church and not lose my family. And that's my biggest dream in my life is that, you know, we're we're celebrating 10 years as a church right now. And what God's done in 10 years has been remarkable. So, But I realize it also has gone so fast. And I realize it's going to be in 10 years from now, we'll be celebrating 20 years as a church. And I just want to know that by that time, I can look back and go, yeah, I nailed it on both. I bowled in both lanes well, family and ministry. And that's my biggest dream. I think that's that's a dream worth giving your life to right there. Uh, I love that. I would love for you... To, to close out our time, just praying for those people who are staring at a situation that seems very unfair and that they will actually be able to have, like something that has been said today will be the key that actually unlocks um, them being able to lean into what God wants to do rather than run away. And so just yeah. whatever the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart for, for that person listening, I'd love for you to pray over them. Yeah, just before I pray, I thought about this idea um, is, you know, we all love getting on a good Netflix binge. You know, you have mm-hmm. that moment where you watch a show and you're just in it. And I don't know if you've had one of those. Katie and I, we watched one this summer and we were just so into the show. And I remember we went through an episode and like the, the main character looked like she had died. The second main character looked like died. It looked like the enemy and the story was just one. And then at the very end of the episode, it ends. And then this little thing popped up. Do you remember the, you know this? And it says, next episode. And it takes only three seconds before mm-hmm. it goes. But you don't even wait the three seconds. You roll your mouse over just to click the next one. <laughs> yep. And I had this whole moment where I looked at it the other day and I realized there's actually two buttons there. There's two buttons. I, I never even knew there's two buttons. Because one says next episode and the other one says watch credits. It's right there on your screen. And I'm going, it's who in their right mind would not move forward, but they would stop and refocus on all the people in that previous scenario. Makes no sense. I believe it's a word from God from someone today 
you keep watching the credits of that previous season. You keep going over who hurt you and who let you down and who didn't believe in you. And God's saying, move on, move forward. The story's not over. It's been discouraging, but we serve a God who will bring you victory in your life. So I wanna pray it over him right now. So Lord, I just pray over those who are in a discouraging season and they keep hashing out and focusing on who hurt them and who mistreated them. But God, we pray this is a time where they walk in forgiveness. They release the bitterness. They release the offense of the past and they move on to what you have for them next. I trust you that you're gonna take this unfair scenario and turn it around for the good. And we thank you for the report that we're gonna hear as they move into the next episode that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I love how God uses Netflix for good. Come on. <laughs> uh, Aaron, awesome. thank you so much for, for joining us today. I, I love your heart. I love your passion. I love the wisdom you share in this book. I think everybody should get it and should read it. And I can't wait to be back down in Tampa with you guys at some point. Absolutely. Thanks, Wade. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to follow Pastor Aaron and the Ministry of Radiant Church, and then pick up a copy of his book, The Unfair Advantage. You'll really be blessed by it. You can get all the information on how to follow him and pick up the book at the link in the show notes and YouTube description. And also, please support this podcast. If it blesses you, if it encourages you, you can do that by liking this episode, by subscribing to the show, by sharing it with a friend, all of that would be extremely helpful. And I'll see you back here next week for more Dreamers and Disciples.